we are raised and our characters are improved when we improve life for others and uplift others. And that is the beauty of this job. And that is the beauty of our democratic majority in Virginia. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We don't agonize, we organize. We've won some battles, but we still have more to do. Today, we've got comedian, regular panel member on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and host of Who's Paying Attention, Alonzo Bowden, to help us break down the week and share our reasons for hope. Yay. And because we're still just weeks away from the Virginia election, we've got Virginia delegate Wendy Goditis joining us to share her really inspiring story. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How We Win. Alonzo, thanks so much for being here with us. Good to be back. Uh, wish we were live, but, you know, yeah. virtual will have to do. <laughs> I, I know. I miss having you in here or being around. Uh, Mariah, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Alonzo and I have known each other for a long time. Yeah. And uh, haven't seen each other in IRL in a few years now. So Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, making the chart are you recording from home did you make the trip from like the kitchen to the living room <laughs> yeah i um i made it up the stairs and to the to the what i like to call the home office so we are coming to you live from the home office in woodland hills and uh yeah and, and we were talking right before we started recording that you've been doing um you're now back out on the road doing some live shows but you've been doing a lot of shows through zoom from i take it the home office as well. Yeah, last year was a, you know, like everyone, a strange year. And stand-up became, I, I compare it to my early career when you had to hustle and get up anywhere you could. <laughs> so it was like shows were in parking lots, outside at the beach, um, rooftops. And one of the things that we learned is to do it via Zoom. Now, at first, it was really weird because everyone would be muted, right? Everything would be silent. Right. And you'd just be talking. I, I compare it to radio, but right. even doing radio, which I did for a while this past summer. But anyway, mm-hmm. even then, you get some feedback because there are other people. This was just a one-way silent thing. But once we realized that Zoom is what it's going to be, we learned... When I say we, I mean producers of shows and stuff learned you could have people unmute so you hear the laughter and then you have somebody monitoring. So if their baby starts crying, dog barking, whatever, you could shut off that individual mm-hmm. and keep it going. So it, it's, it helped with the timing. My first few Zoom shows, I did 45 minutes of material in eight minutes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's like that's how I listen to podcasts, just like on double speed, anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Like, it's trying to to do stand up is like my personal nightmare, and to do it and not hear anybody just seems so. I'm sweating thinking about it. Well, it's it's not as bad as it sounds because it's what we do, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the the strangest, yet oddly, I don't know, it worked was. The Laugh Factory initially, they were Jamie. Um, Jamie owns the Laugh Factory. 
he was doing streaming shows and we would get on stage with a camera, but mm. no audience. Wow. And it was just, but it like that club is so, I'm so used to it. It's such a home stage. Yeah. I performed as if it was full. It was like, yeah, this is the Laugh Factory. So I could, I don't know, mimic an audience or had the audience in my head or whatever. But that was, that was strange. And then he changed it and he put up three giant screen TV monitors with the zooms. So ah, you would see you all see of these people in feedback. front of you. That was almost weirder than doing it. <laughs> well, I've played lots of empty clubs in my lifetime, so I'm used to that. That's great. You, know. um, you mentioned uh, your radio show uh, that you did over the summer at uh, KBLA Talk 1580. What was that like? You know, uh, so here's the thing, and I joke about it. Um, <laughs> talk radio, AM talk radio would have been a great gig in 1987, you know, <laughs> in 1990, it would have been huge. I would have been right next to Larry Elder. I'd have been on the Democratic <laughs> side. Uh, yeah. And by the way, oh, having Lord. done talk radio for three months, I knew he wasn't qualified to be governor because, you know, <laughs> yeah, let me tell you something. This is the first time I had to vote for the white guy because the black guy was racist. Okay, so. <laughs> but, no, you know, it true. was it's not, it's not a lie. The interviews. The interviews were fun and interesting, mm -hmm. but it becomes very repetitive and it's a lot of time to fill. It was three hours a day by myself. And then stand up started coming back and I realized for me, the creativity of stand up is more fun than radio. And as you guys know, uh, we, we live in an era of podcasts and that's what people are listening to. They're not tuning into the radio at a certain time. So friends of mine who, who have big podcasts were saying like, hey, the amount of work you're putting in, just dedicate it to your podcast and, and do that bigger. So yeah, I'm yeah. back to doing that. I'm back to the Who's Paying Attention podcast uh, with all things comedy. How's that for a plug? And, uh, <laughs> Very smooth. Yeah, and, and working that. But now I'm going to put more effort into that, do more interviews, etc. So um, for people who are going to listen to this podcast and then download Who's Paying Attention, um, what can they expect? What are you most excited about coming up? Well, it's it's my weekly take on the news on whatever interests me that week, much like what you guys do. Um, mm -hmm. It might be it started out with me telling the stories that were behind the jokes. In other words, if I did a bit like, you know, about Larry Elder, then I would go on the podcast and talk about the recall election or something mm -hmm. like that. But then it, it's grown more into uh, whatever strikes my interest, whatever is funny, uh, whatever is ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm going to incorporate the interview component. So the new thing that I'm doing is I'm doing more. We would interviews. love. We would love to. Thank you. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> Just let us know. That's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and listen, we're we're safe, so we're going live in studio. Um, we got studio in Burbank. It's all safe. So if you're vaccinated and you're comfortable with it, we'll do it live. Oh damn! I should have had you come in here. Mm -hmm. There you go. Oh well. Well. Uh, that's we're excited about your your show uh, coming yeah. back because you've always had a great 
take on politics and what's going on and and uh, and making us think and laugh at the same time, which is better than thinking and crying and burying our heads in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> so we appreciate that. But that's also a good segue to our news of the week. So uh, let's let's do it. Let's talk about um, what's on our mind from this last week. Um, Mariah, what have you been thinking about? Oh, I've been thinking about these Republicans who are, or former Republicans who are saying, hmm, um, this party has some dangerous ideas. <laughs> uh, they're trying to take down our democracy. We're going to encourage everybody to vote for moderate Democrats. And one of the more prominent voices was in the Washington Post this week, uh, Max Boot. I'm going to read um, one of his paragraphs from his op-ed. I'm a single issue voter. My issue is the fate of democracy in the United States. Simply put, I have no faith that we will remain a democracy if Republicans win power. Thus, although I'm not a Democrat, I will continue to vote exclusively for Democrats as I've done in every election since 2016 until the GOP ceases to post an existential threat to our freedom. Now, the fact that, you know, electing Trump and the outcome of that was a surprise to these folks. Um, well, welcome, welcome to the party, I guess. A um, little, little nervous about where this is going to go. Um, what do y'all think? Can we, can we trust these Republicans to to support Democrats and help save our democracy? What do you think, uh, Alonzo? Well, go ahead, go ahead, Steve. Because I'm looking for well, this article I read, which relates to that, and I'm trying to find it. Because what it talked about is Republicans pretend like the party has become so dumb and stupid has become so appealing to them that well-educated Republicans are pretending to be stupid. And I can't oh find gosh. the article. Oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. They're doing a good job of pretending, by the way. <laughs> no, I'm all kidding aside. OK, so, for example, Elise Stefanik, OK, mm. uh, she said. She praised Medicare and Medicaid for protecting the health care of millions. And then she says, to safeguard our future, we must reject socialist health care. And it's like, <laughs> e that's ridiculous. And then you have this this one, John Neely Kennedy, okay? Republican congressman from, from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Graduated from Vanderbilt, Oxford University, and has a law degree. And he pretends to be a country bumpkin. See, this is the problem with the Republican Party. They're, they're the leaders, and this is why I call it the cult now. The leaders pretend yeah. to be dumb to get these followers to do what they say. And, and it is horrible. And, and the guy who I've talked to, we've done four <laughs> shows together in the past year. I've done his podcast twice. He did my radio show. Michael Steele, mm -hmm. who cannot stand the current Republican Party can't stand it and has said publicly there's no place for african-americans in the current republican party i mean they're gone they're gone and this party of no routine only works on their dumbest followers and now they're they're literally experimenting on the cult like yeah you go out there unvaccinated us no we're all vaccinated they're all vaccinated we're all vaccinated but you go out there and literally die for the cult and, and I, so these these Republicans who say they're going to be Democrats, I don't know that they're going to be Democrats 
but they don't have a Republican to vote for. That's their frustration. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, except, boy, if if Kennedy is doing a dumb routine, he's doing it really, really well so because uh, he's uh, just said some crazy and stupid things. But um, but I do think that like the uh, we talk about the Republican Party being a cult all the time. You know, I mean, this uh, it's not even hyperbole to say that if you you know sort of break down what makes up a cult and you know their their leader and trump um is is still the de facto leader in fact it's clear based on his recent <laughs> uh, iowa rally and all other things that he's going to be running and will be the nominee for uh, president in 2024 so i just think that they're uh the republicans who are left in the party who are struggling to maintain power in an environment where their policies are wildly and roundly unpopular with the bulk of the American public. Um, they, they're just, they're terrified to step away from the hate, the racism, the misogyny, the, the everything that they can do. Um, and we know this because their policy, like you said, it was the policy of no. They actually do have policies. It's policy of uh, voter suppression. It's the policies of questioning the election and um, and sowing doubt in the very fabric of our democracy, all so that they can stay in power because they don't have actual policies that are popular with American people. Um, I think the Stefanik quote that you said is so indicative of that because she knows that, you know, health care for everybody is popular, especially in the midst of a pandemic. But you know, somehow that's socialism because that's the the drumbeat that they have to keep sounding to their uh, their. I, I hope smaller base. I hope Mariah, you're right that this is like a dwindling base of of you know right wing crazy conspiracy theory GQP. I guess is what I was looking for. You know, Republicans, but um, but I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. Other than pro gun and anti abortion. I couldn't give you a Republican policy because just automatically voting no on everything isn't a policy. You right. know, that that's just a, a knee jerk reaction. Right. But but in other words, what are they offering other than the word? No, I, I can't say I haven't heard a Republican come out and say, hey, we want to do this or speak for that. They're, they don't have a policy. And, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene okay, mm -hmm. is genuinely a dumb populist, right? She's great. She's like Sarah Palin, you know, great media manipulator, no idea what's going on with the issues or anything real. But there are others who are smart and who know exactly what they're doing in this manipulation, um, led by McConnell. Right. You look at this debt ceiling nonsense, right? right. Which is, it's nonsense. They do this every time. So step up and say, all right, stop it, because when Republicans in charge, you have no problem. Now you suddenly have a problem. But say it directly. Stop being nice. Stop being political. Just say, look, knock it off. And this is what happens. And this is how the government operates. And we're going to keep the government open. So stop wasting time arguing over, are we going to keep the government open? Or, and this would be my favorite thing, say, you know what? We're going to do what you want. We're going to have Joe Biden resign because then the black woman becomes president. That's that's so funny to me when these idiots talk about Biden resign. It's like, do you understand how this works? 
Do you know who <laughs> becomes president if Biden leaves? Oh, you think you're mad now? <laughs> um, well, listen, that's a strategy. I hope people are listening. You never know. You never know what's like. I've given up on trying to predict what's going to happen. I do think you're I think that um, Biden came in office thinking that, you know, he has that reputation for getting people to do what he wants for reaching across the aisle. I think this is a different Republican Party than what he was dealing with when he was in the Senate. Definitely. So. Yeah, they you know, this is where the Republicans always talk about Reagan. And it's like this this Republican Party wouldn't even accept Reagan. Right. That's Reagan right. would be a liberal to this Republican Party. Um, we, we need to move on to our Hero of the Week segment. So let's talk about our Hero of the Week. Do you have someone off the top of your head that you want to celebrate, Alonzo? Wow. Um, whoever brought the John Gruden story to light. Mm, here we go. Who, I don't know who it is, but whoever brought it to light would be my hero of the week. People are releasing emails left and right these days. Well, here's my here's my problem with the emails, right? When you send an email, you sent it to someone. So who was on the other end that was okay with the homophobic bashing, the, the mm. misogynist, the racism? Who received that email and was like, oh, this is funny or this is all right? See, we're right. not talking about, you're talking about John Gruden for writing it, but if these were written years ago, that means other powerful policy, policy makers in the NFL received these emails and they were fine with it and they still are. Well, yeah, and and like we said, you and I have known each other for a long time, and uh, I'm sure you remember when I used to be absolutely obsessed with the NFL um, and living and breathing the, the Washington football team, the Washington football which is, team, which is so racist that two years later still can't come up with a name. They're still like, <laughs> got nothing. we just can we mm, still nothing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this uh, this and many other things is why I stopped watching the NFL uh, a few years ago, many about five or six years ago now, I guess. Um, notwithstanding that my favorite team uh, refused to let go of their very racist name, um, but also uh, the abuse, the misogyny, the homophobia, the making excuses for their star players who beat up on their wives and don't get prosecuted and and, and then not taking care of players and the, the concussion issues and all of that mm -hmm. uh, just made me turn away from the NFL. So... Yes, whoever brought out those emails uh, for Gruden is a hero uh, anytime we can expose that. Not that Gruden really needed exposing because, I mean, come on. If you were going to pick one guy that would have sent those emails, don't you kind of think it would have been Chucky? <laughs> <laughs> so um for people who don't know this is the y'all will correct me if i get any of this wrong the head coach of the las vegas raiders um who uh some racist misogynistic homophobic emails that he's sent years ago um about all sorts of people um have come have come to light and he has quit his job yeah, he's resigned. Well, he just quit. They try, you know, this is another thing that bothers me. He didn't quit. He got fired. They mm -hmm. just said, let's make it you quit so it sounds better. Mm 
but he got fired and he got fired because the owner was like, I'm not dealing with this. You're done. Yeah. All right. So anonymous sources will find out who those people are that released uh, his emails and brought this to light. You are our heroes of the week. We have our to-do list, and then we have an amazing interview um, with Delegate Goditis uh, to talk about why it's important to do this to-do list, and that's get involved in the Virginia election right now. And, uh, and then we're going to come back with our reasons for hope. But uh, real quick, in case you haven't figured it out, your to-do list for this week is to go to swingleft.org slash VA and sign up to volunteer in Virginia. Uh, you can make some calls. I think there are still some letters to be written as well. The donations that you make right now still make a big impact. We're less than three weeks away from this election. The polls are tight, and it is so important that we hold on to the majority, the trifecta in Virginia, and uh, and show the GO, the GQP, I'll start using that, uh, that we have not gone anywhere, that we are still working hard, and that we are going to show up in the midterms, too, and make sure we hold on to everything else. So. All right, we're going to be right back with Alonzo after our interview with Delegate Goditis to talk about our reasons for hope. Delegate Wendy Goditis became one of the 15 Democrats to flip state House of Delegates seats in 2017. In 2019, the same Republican incumbent ran to reclaim his seat only to lose to Wendy by a larger margin than in 2017. That must have felt pretty good. <laughs> She's now running for re-election in Virginia District 10. Delegate Goditis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. <laughs> um, I really encourage people to go to your website and, and take a look. You have such a compelling personal story and and reasons for um, why you started running. But why don't you why don't you tell us before we send people there? Um, what's the very first thing that got you interested in running for office? Well, after a certain person was put in the White House, um, much to my horror, hmm. I started to look more closely at my my immediate uh, representatives and the delegate I had at the time voted against the expansion of Medicaid. He voted against people with pre-existing conditions getting health care. Um, I had a brother who was suffering horribly from PTSD and alcoholism. Mm. And everything that my delegate at the time was doing was, was to keep people like my brother from getting the care they need and deserve. Let's forget, let's not forget the and deserve part. Right. So I, I thought about it. I announced, well, I went to every Democratic committee in the three <laughs> counties that I represent. And I said, who's running against this guy? I'm going to be the best volunteer that campaign has. And they all said, nobody's running, Wendy. Three-term popular incumbent, lots of money. No one's going to beat him. Well, guess what? <laughs> We beat him. Um, I ran wow. because no one else was going to. And I ran wow. in large part because of my brother's situation. And then two weeks after I announced my candidacy, I found my brother dead. It was too late for him. Um, we'd had lots of, lots of suicide attempts. Uh, let's just say the short story is that the red flag law could have saved his life. 
So, um, yeah, that's why I ran. And <laughs> we beat that guy that first year. The next time in 2019, what a thrill. We beat him again. And he had spent half a million of his own money. <laughs> but not only did he lose the election, he lost half a million dollars. So, uh, yeah, we we worked hard. It takes we're still these these elections are still close. We still mm -hmm. have to campaign as hard as we can at a dead run. But we must win this seat back to keep the progress going. I'm so sorry um, yeah. about your brother. I'm not familiar with the red flag law. Can you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, that's the legislation. It has been passed in a number of states. And thankfully, we were finally, once we got the Democratic majority in 2020, mm -hmm. we were finally able to uh, pass the red flag law, which allows gun, uh, a firearm to be taken from someone who is in crisis and in danger of threatening their own lives or somebody else's. And, you know with all the rhetoric out there about gun legislation, who on earth could protest taking a gun away from someone who is wanting to shoot themselves or someone else? Yeah. So that's the red flag law. You would, you would think that that's common sense. And um, unfortunately, a lot of Republicans do not share that view. Um, but uh, again, I, I echo, of course, Mariah's condolences to your brother, and um, I'm I'm uh, struggled with alcoholism and drug addiction myself. I got sober very young, um, and I've been sober for thirty years now. So well uh, I'm well I'm very grateful, and uh, and I hear way too many stories like yours um, because we just don't invest in uh, in our in our people. Um, so um, and also. Pre-existing conditions is one of the reasons uh, protecting that for my own daughter who has pre-existing conditions is, is one of the reasons I got involved. So the, your story hits for me, and, and I'm really grateful to you. Um, as we said in your intro, you and you just talked about, you did win that seat in 2017 despite overwhelming odds against you and held it in 2019. Uh, what did you learn from those two campaigns, and what's different about your run right now? I don't know that a lot has changed. I ran in the first place to help people and to save lives. And that hasn't changed for me. Um, and clearly enough of the district agrees with me that we have to make people a priority, whether it's protections from the virus with mask mandates or vaccine man mandates for teachers and healthcare workers, whether it's raising the minimum wage so people have a can make a living and pay for rent and food for crying out loud, um, whether it's the first Voting Rights Act in the South. These are these are such basic human rights and protections. And that's why I ran then. That's why I'm running now. And, you know, these things matter. And even to the people who don't know that we are we're fighting for them to have these protections, you know, it matters for those people as well. Hmm. So you served in the House of Delegates when Democrats didn't have the trifecta and you've been in obviously since since we did uh, get the trifecta in 2019. 
what's been different <laughs> for you and uh, and um, what's at stake if we lose if we lose that majority? Well, the difference the difference is between leaving the chamber floor feeling irritated and frustrated and cornering the odd Republican delegate and and scolding them in 2018 <laughs> and 19, which was one of my favorite activities. Um, <laughs> we don't want to give you that. We don't want to give that back to you, though. Sorry. <laughs> I guess you can still scold them even though you're in the majority. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, 2020 and 21, leaving the chamber feeling breathless, like I couldn't catch my breath because we had made so much progress so quickly. And, you know, it was a pent up frustration, not for the people in, in the General Assembly, but for all of Virginia, there was so much pent up frustration for the things that we needed that the Republican majority had ignored or had stomped on for a generation. And, you know, there's plenty more to be done. But the Virginia mm -hmm. Clean Economy Act, the uh, Let's passing the Equal Rights Amendment. Hmm. Right. Should women have equal rights yeah. under the Constitution in 2020? Yes. So, so much of it is so simple and so obvious. So much of it is so, again, life saving. And yeah, a huge contrast. And we must keep the progress going. We've been a beacon for the South, whether or not they know it. We've been a guiding light for the United States here in Virginia. And we have to keep that going. Well, we all agree with you um, how important it is to keep that going. And we talk a lot about how important it is to invest in, in down ballot races in local legislatures and also the, the bang for the buck that you get uh, investing in, in these kind of races. Um, grassroots donations really make a huge impact on races like yours. Uh, what would you do with donations coming into you right now? Donations to this campaign mean that we can get the right message out to everybody in the district. Without the funding, we can't send out the mailers that tell everybody what I stand for, what my opponent stands for. We can't put the TV ads up and we're in a very expensive TV market. And it really matters that, that we be able to go on TV as my opponent has, is doing and give the voters the other side, the right side, and show the tremendous contrast between myself and my opponent. So that's what the funds are for. I'm so grateful for people's generosity. We always need funding. The Republicans had a playbook that they learned from uh, our ex-president, which is lies tend to be effective. And in mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks of elections, these people come up with the most outrageous lies and we have to have enough funds on hand to be able to oppose those lies and give people the truth. Yes, Democrats policies are wildly popular and, um, you know, whether uh, Republican legislators want to admit that or not, it's the case. And, and we know that they know that because they're not running on policies. They're running on lies. They're running on dirty tricks and cheating to try to stay in power. So, yes, that that investment in, in what you do and in the truth and the good work that you all have been doing, especially since you've had the trifecta, uh, getting that message out is so, so important. 
It truly is. I, you know, I trust Virginians if they get the messages, if they receive the messages, I trust the Virginians to do the right thing. We just have to make sure that they receive the messages. Fantastic. We're going to let people know um, how they can help support. Um, it's this Commonwealth is so important to the country and for, um, you know, setting the example of what's possible when when states go blue. Super important. Um, last question of the interview um, is what we always ask everyone. And I always just appreciate ending on a, a positive note with this question. What gives you the most hope for the future? I think the biggest this this job is the honor of a lifetime, no question. And mm. the biggest privilege is to have met and to meet every day thousands and thousands of Virginians. And whether or not they agree with everything that I know to be true, <laughs> um, I people matter and their opinions matter. And I think it's it's really wrong of the other side to mislead good people and frighten good people. And I think the fact that Democrats in Virginia have had the chance to uh, lift people up. Um, we work on issues of equity. We work on issues of non-discrimination. And it's, it's just, I just <laughs> talk about uplifting. I, you know, I myself am uplifted. We, we are raised and our characters are improved when we improve life for others and uplift mm -hmm. others. And that that is the beauty of this job. And that is the beauty of our Democratic majority in Virginia. Amazingly well said. Thank you so much. Thanks for spending the time with us. Uh, and now I know everyone wants to make that donation to help get your message out. So uh, where can they do that? Well, we have a website. It's wendygooditis.com. Don't be scared of the name. It's very easy to spell. Good <laughs> it is. <laughs> Good it is. So, at wendygooditis.com and feel free to, to reach out and volunteer and we need you. And we are so, so very grateful for your understanding and your contributions. Of course. And we'll have that on our show notes page, too, on swingleft.org slash podcast for people to find that easily. And of course, we're supporting you through our funds and phone banks and everything as well. So we're excited to make some calls for you as well. So Delegate Goditis, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Love and gratitude to all of Swing Left. Thank you. She is certainly an inspiring leader in Virginia and gives me a lot of hope. And of course, we're back here now with Mariah and with Alonzo Bowden to talk about our reasons for hope. Do you have a reason for hope, Alonzo, or should I go first? Go, you go first, and then <laughs> I'll see. Okay. How you're feeling. <laughs> I have a really good one, and that's uh, Biden's. Uh, what some are calling a risky move uh, to not block the information sought by Congress uh, and uh, and not exert executive privilege on that information for Trump and his associates that were requested by the January 6th commission. Um, this is really exciting to me because this is what I had hoped for and expected from Biden is that all of these norms that were broken and tested and pushed to their limit uh, by – Trump, 
uh, would be codified into law and that you would have a president who was not wanting to protect their own uh, whatever, their own secrets, their own their own stuff, and and really uh, make sure that democracy comes first and that executive privilege comes second. From the AP, Biden's decision not to block the information sought by Congress challenges a tested norm, one in which presidents enjoy the secrecy of records on their own terms in office, both mundane and highly sensitive, for a period of at least five years and often far longer. That means Biden and future presidents, as well as Trump. So Trump's going to continue to fight this legally because he he wants to exert, you know, executive privilege till forever. But this this is uh, this also the reason for hope is not just that he's doing the right thing and and making sure that this information gets to the committee, but it also shows that he's not doing what a lot of politicians have done, both Democrat and Republican, and said, we want to move on and uh, and not get mired in endless investigations. He's not saying that he wants Trump investigated. He wants the truth to come to light. And I think that's what all of us listening to this podcast definitely want as well. So that brings me hope. Well, I want to comment on what you said, <laughs> and then I'll give my reason for hope, which is a completely different. OK, thing. you know, I think what we have to find out for one thing, the partisan thing on this is right, because the partisan gets in the way again of what the facts are, because Republicans what did what did Pence say about January 6th, one day in January? Like they, they're acting like it didn't happen, like it wasn't a big deal. So so opening this up and getting more facts on the left, it'll be like, yes, see what we told you. And on the right, it'll be like, no, those aren't real facts. We don't believe. So I don't know that anything's going to happen. But looking at the Trump presidency and where it's going to take time to see. Was that a glitch? Was it just a one-time thing? Or is that indicative of the future? Meaning that when you look at the secrets presidents have and stuff like that, we never had a president before who used the office, obviously, for personal business gain internationally, who negotiated deals for his family, whether it be his daughter's Chinese shoe deal or Mm -hmm. whatever, to, to even simple things like... I was reading about the gifts. You know how they give the president gifts and they take the gift and they put it in a warehouse somewhere. Like in the Trump administration, they were taking the gifts and like, and and I'm talking simple, like, you know, whiskey, you know what I mean? Like, like you're stealing whiskey that you're supposed to just, so is this the new normal or is this going to be a one-time thing? And that's speaking to your point, Steve, of the records and the secrecy and stuff. That's going to be the question, because if it's a normal presidency like a Biden or even let's look at uh, W, the -hmm. secrets were were kind of government secrets and and things like maybe some personal stuff you did or did wrong. But it wasn't obviously corrupt business dealings that happened with Trump. Mm -hmm. So so is there going to be another businessman who makes the presidency his family's piggy bank or is that one time? Is it going to be someone else who's so totally incompetent you you can't even comprehend the things he did or said or is that a one-time glitch i don't know so for more truth to come out is great but will it matter i don't only i think it'll only matter if we have another president as bad as trump or as obviously corrupt as trump well Um, let's hope for that then (laughs) oh my god but when it comes to hope you know what my hope is you know my hope is 
that the blankets that they're putting around the giant sequoias in the fires work. Mm. These are redwood trees and sequoias that are thousands of years old, yeah. and they're threatened by fire. And they're, I don't know if you're aware, they're wrapping them up with these like fire retardant blankets, wow. hoping that these trees don't burn. If a 2,000 year old tree burns down, you don't get another one. Yeah. You don't get another one. That's it. So it, it is such a, you know, I know a guy who worked with this, with, with, wildfires and stuff and he said they're living things like if you've ever yeah. been anywhere near one it's amazing the yeah. power of these things you know yeah and and these trees have survived them in the past but they're like we don't know this time so my hope is that those blankets work i didn't know about the blankets but yeah um, i hadn't heard that i have to look into that that sounds i i hope so too i those trees are incredible um we could go on a whole thing about redwood trees because I absolutely love redwood trees. But, uh, you know, their root systems are very, very shallow. Like most trees, their root systems are, you know, at least half, if not more, as, you know, deep into the ground as they are tall. But um, these giant sequoias have very, very shallow root systems. And that's why they clump together because they're actually these community of trees that prop each other up. I mean, what a... Uh, incredible life story for all of us. But anyway. Um, That's so nice. Yeah. I love that reason for hope. What about I you, Mariah? Much, much hope in humanity. I'm going with trees. <laughs> um, Smart. <laughs> I, You know, I'm feeling like in a similar place this week. Um, some weeks I struggle to come up with a reason for hope. Uh, strangely, my reason for hope this week is actually... Um, the great British baking show is, is back on Netflix yes. and um, it is like the one thing I can watch that feels like safe. And I've un like now, right now everybody's watching squid game, which <laughs> I'm afraid to watch because I hear it's so violent and you know, that sort of thing. Like we're going through this like whole psychological thing as a community um, together that's sort of just bombarding us with, negative energy constantly to have something where people are like really nice and helping each other try to win this baking contest like that's my safe space these days if you're not watching it highly encouraged very soothing watch it and then write letters to virginia <laughs> <laughs> Melinda's watch squid game <laughs> is it that good oh my gosh I'm you know so it, it, this is the thing and it's very funny every movie book or tv show about the future does not end well <laughs> like nobody nobody's really like you know in a hundred years this humanity is going to have it figured out it's like nope they're killing each other they're going <laughs> to kill each other just we're just going to watch different ways they kill each other no i liked i liked squid game i'm not going to do any spoilers for you or anything like that but um yeah, I, th I thought it was good. And it's interesting, The I don't know if you've been reading about it at all, but the Koreans said the part of it that is true is Koreans apparently get in tremendous debt and trouble with debt trying to maintain lifestyles. Mm. So, Well, okay, so I'm going to try to visualize a post-apocalyptic future in which everyone is baking for each other and, uh, and living in harmony. 
Because that surrounded is surrounded by sequoias. <laughs> you mean baking each other? Oh yes, long show. And and that is that is gold. Someone needs to develop a uh, a hybrid British baking show squid game. Squid game. because that. That's it. That's what we need. You get right. We'll shot have a bake off where the loser gets killed. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> see, Steve, that's what you'll get. That's that's right. what you will get. Right. <laughs> They're really, really like interested in how dry their scone is because Ooh, if it's too moist, not good. You know what happens. <laughs> Well, my reason for hope just got obliterated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Back well, this has work. been so fun, Alonzo, as always. It's great catching up with you. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. You know, you guys are a reason for hope. We, you keep keep fighting the good fight. I, I narrate the fight. I don't participate. I, I observe <laughs> and narrate. So I admire you. I've told you this before, the effort you put in, Steve, you too, Mariah, that, you know, and it's really, wow. I Again, I just wish, I mean, if you just look at the topics we hit, Steve, two years ago, what, what do we hit? Racism, the Republican Party being crazy. You know, it, it's like, can we move on? Can we, oh, if our society, if we could, if we could just move on to the next thing, uh, I don't know. Uh, I always say, and Steve, I know you, how old's your girl now? How old's your little girl? Oh, Lucy's 19 now. She started her wow. freshman year of college. So no longer a little girl. Yeah. But but her generation, I wish them the best. Mm. And I don't know the world they live in in 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, thanks for making me sad. Uh, we'll we'll end there. But maybe no, it's not. This, this is what happens when you invite a comedian so to your no. freaking podcast. <laughs> hey, listen, they're they're kicking ass. If you look at what they did to those, you know, they know how to use TikTok, right? There's always that that generational thing with social media, but it, when you look at what they did to to Trump's rally, to the yeah. um, to the right. to the websites in Texas where you're supposed to report the person going for an abortion. It was them that crashed all those websites. You know, they're the ones who know know how to do that. So, and they, they do care. They care. And, yeah. and I think that's fantastic. I, I will say at 19, I had no idea what was going on, much less cared. So, yeah. no, I, I don't look at them with sadness. I only sadness is uh, the mess we're leaving them, but right. I, I love what they do. They, yeah, they're, they're doing better than we did. I think. Yeah. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking. The mess that we left with them, but you're right there. Uh, they are engaged and they will stay engaged because they're literally in a fight for their own lives in a way that we weren't when we were kids. I mean, we were, but you know, we didn't have, you know, climate change, you know, bearing down on us. We didn't have school shootings the way that we do now and, and living with these existential threats to their very, uh, lives, um, in the way that, that these kids do. So, um, yes, they inspire me. And, of course, Lucy, my daughter, inspires me for many, many reasons, too. Shout out to her. She never listens to the show, so I can say whatever I want about her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, man. I hope I hope we see you soon. We'll, we'll, I guess, talk to you soon on your podcast, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we'll set it up yeah, and get check it out Who's paying attention? Yeah. That'll be great. All right. Thank you. Right. Have a great day. Great weekend. Great, great. Have a great life. <laughs> That's it. 
Thank you for joining us today. This is How We Win. We win when we all get involved. What's your reason for hope? We want to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org or tweet to us at Steve and at Mariah underscore Craven. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever else you get your pods. Share our show on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, sign up to volunteer in Virginia right now. Come on. How We Win is a proud member of the MSW Media Network. Check out the other great podcasts there at mswmedia.com. We so appreciate you being here with us every week. We'll be back with some more next Wednesday. MSW.